Celia said it all started with an ad she saw on the back of one of those free bargain newspapers you find next to the gum at gas stations. She'd always liked getting them when we went on a trip, collecting local ads and classifieds the way that other people took pictures or bought spoons or thimbles from every state they visited. Even her videos were a new thing for this latest road trip, partially because she had a new phone with a better camera and partially because, unlike in previous years, I didn't go with her this time. Back then, I felt like I had no choice. I didn't like missing out on our annual sister trip, but work was crazy and I was up for a promotion. Celia had been disappointed, but she understood, and she promised to bring me back an exciting trip documentary that would make me rue the day I decided to stay in stupid Providence instead of going with her for a week. The first few videos were pretty normal. Her showing me scenery while making jokes, but it was on the fourth day she got the paper and saw the ad. She held up the cheap gray paper to the eye of her phone, letting me see the bleary text printed there. Do you want to see how you're going to die? Come to Stillwell Spring and ask the spirit to get answers that you seek. Admission, $14 weekdays, $20 weekends. Hours, 12 to 5, Monday through Thursday, 6 to 9, Friday through Sunday. I knew, as soon as I read the ad, she was going to go there. Her voice was excited and more than a little nervous as she talked to me, telling me that she was going to leave the camera going the whole time. So I got the experience, too. My hands trembled as I watched her move up the steps and pan around the bare porch in the empty field that was the house's front yard. There were no other cars around, no other customers. Celia was probably just assuming this was an obscure and unsuccessful haunted house that put ads in penny papers out of desperation, but... The door opened before she could knock. The man on the other side was just a few years older than us, and handsome. Not my type exactly, but I knew right away that Celia would have been thrilled, and hearing the change in her voice as she said hey to him just confirmed it. He seemed friendly and charming, inviting her in while making self-deprecating jokes about her being the first visitor to this little haunted house in over a week. Walking her further inside, I could see fresh lumber and a table saw set up in the large foyer before she panned over to the living room they were entering. Several boxes were stacked neatly at the room's edge, and in the middle were a pair of folding chairs, a pair of coolers, and a sleeping bag. The man, he introduced himself as Travis, apologized for the state of things and started to explain. When Celia asked if she could record him talking, he hesitated for a moment before breaking into a big grin and nodding. Sure, he said. Why not? So, I know this place looks rough, and it is. Uh, Look, three months ago, I bought this house at a country auction, right? I'm a carpenter by trade, and my buddy has been telling me I should get into flipping houses, so I started looking for good investments all across the state. This place had been abandoned for years, and the county finally seized the property to pay for back taxes. When I saw it was up for auction, I came and checked it out. It's on 30 acres, and the bones of the house seemed good to me. I didn't have a ton of money to work with, and I honestly thought I'd be outbid pretty fast by some local looking to get a good deal. When I did get to the auction and saw that there were like 40 people here, I almost got back in my car and left. If I hadn't driven nearly two hours to get there probably would have. Instead, 
I stayed and bid. I wanted to be competitive enough so maybe no lowballers would start trying to outbid each other, so I bid like two-thirds of the money I had. I wish I'd bid a lot less now because no one else raised their hand. Like, no one even looked like they were considering it, and I'd watched them bid hot and heavy on three places before that's... Anyway, I won, if you want to call it that. And at the time, I was really excited. Don't misunderstand me. I am. Still, it's just... The house itself needs more plumbing and electrical work than I first realized, and even with me getting the place for a low bid, I'm still over budget. A lot of the work I can do myself, but some things I need help with, and I found out fairly quickly that no one around here would come to work on this place. Celia interrupted at this point. What? Why? She still had that breathy, too bright voice she got when talking to a cute guy, but I could tell she was intrigued by what she was saying, too. Travis laughed and shook his head. Because <sighs> of the damn witch, apparently. Smiling at Celia past the camera, he went on. So, apparently there's some local legend that some family used to own this house and they were all into black magic, like sacrificing animals and people to the devil or something. I don't know, it's crazy shit. Anyway, they suddenly all die, except for one of the daughters, and for years no one heard a peep from her. Rumor was, she'd poisoned the rest and sat up there alone, going crazy. Oh shit. He nodded. I know, right? It's like that castle book I read one time. It's probably all bullshit, but that's not all. Bear in mind, I hear this from like four different people over the last couple of months, but most of it was pretty consistent, especially the last part. Apparently, like two counties over, they started having people going missing. This was back in the 1930s, so it took some time for news to travel out this far and for people to decide this crazy woman out in the country might be involved, but supposedly when they did, they just went out to ask her some questions. It wasn't until she wouldn't answer and they smelled something awful coming from inside that they broke down the door and went in. The missing people were all there. Eight different bodies in varying stages of rotting all throughout the house. They were lying on their stomachs like they'd been trying to crawl until they found a way out. Crawling because, well, all of their ankles had been broken. Fuck. Did they find the woman? Travis nodded. <laughs> they found her all right. She hung herself down in the basement, right above the well the house is built on. Woman in town told me she must have done it as soon as they started knocking because her body was still warm when they cut her down. Celia turned the camera toward herself to give a wide-eyed shock expression and a grin before turning it back toward him. So people don't want to come out here because it's a murder house? He winced and shrugged. Some, maybe? I think most because people think it's haunted. I checked the land records and a couple of different people have owned it since the 1930s, but I don't think anyone stays for long. And the last owner apparently just disappeared one day, which is what led to it being abandoned and put up for auction. He puffed out a long breath. Still, either way, all this is going to make it hard to make money off it once I fix it up. That's why I started advertising it as a haunted house a few weeks ago. I figure I might as well lean into it, make a few bucks, and maybe I can find someone on the internet that wants to buy a cool house that's supposed to be haunted. That makes sense, but... Do you really think it's haunted? 
He hesitated again and then shook his head. Honestly? No. I mean, I've had a few creepy things happen, and there's several stories of people seeing or hearing stuff here, especially down in the basement at the wall. That's where the ad comes from. This whole thing, I heard that... Jesus, that sounds so cheesy saying it out loud. She reached forward and patted his arm. No, go ahead. I want to hear it. This is all so cool. Smiling at her, he continued. Supposedly, if you go down in the dark and kneel on one side of the well and look across, the ghost will show you how you're going to die. There was a moment of silence between them before they both started laughing. <laughs> so, do you want to try it? Celia gave another small laugh. Of course I do, it sounds awesome. It's 14, right? He waved his hand. <laughs> now, don't worry about that. I wouldn't feel right taking your money, and honestly, well, I'm having a really good time just talking to you. Uh, yeah, me too. Travis grinned. Cool. Give me a sec and to get it set up. It's not some kind of jump scare or anything, but there's something near the well I've incorporated into it, and it has to be dark down there, right? But you also have to be able to see where to go and not fall in the well. His eyes widened. I, I promise it's safe. There's like a foot-high rim at the edge of the well and plenty of space in the room without getting that close, but I still like to light some candles to lead you down and show you where to kneel down. Kneel? He blushed slightly. Yeah, there's this little thing down near the well. I don't know what it's actually for, but I'm using it as a spot to see the ghost. You just put your knees on the lower slab and your elbows on the top part. It makes sense when you see it, and I'll have candles around it, too. <laughs> okay. She gave another laugh. I'm starting to think this ghost is kinky. Travis blushed a deeper red. Maybe so. I... I'll be back in a minute after I get the candles set up. When he was gone, Celia turned the camera back to her. Okay, so first off... He's fucking adorable. Second off, I know you're probably going to say this is dumb or dangerous or whatever, but it is fun. And he seems like a really nice guy, right? She smirked. I'll pretend that you agree with me on all counts. Looking up, she quickly turned the camera back around as he returned to the room with a nervous smile. I think we're all set if you're ready. I've never been more ready for anything in my life. The camera is good, but limited in the dark. She'd followed him through a couple of rooms to an open doorway that he said led down into the basement. Small tea candles lit the way down a slowly curving set of wide stone steps, and when she reached the bottom, another candle burned in the middle of a patch of black, leading her further into the middle of a shadowed sea, punctuated by another small island of light and then a cluster of flames around a small stone thing that did look built for kneeling after all. The bottom portion was a small flat platform with two indentions where your knees and shins would rest, and a short wall led up from it to another, smaller platform on top at a good height for resting your arms while you knelt down before the yawning abyss in the center of the room. Because even in the meager light of the candles, the camera could not see the close edge of the well, it looked to be ten feet across with a small stone lip ringing the edge. 
Travis had warned her not to get closer to the kneeling bench, as he'd called it, before sending her down. Said that the house and the well were built around the natural spring that ran deep underground. When she was asked how she was going to see anything if it was so dark down there, he laughed and said she shouldn't expect to see a ghost anyway, but what he'd been telling people is to kneel down, count to 60, and then use a flashlight or the light on their phone to look across the well. Giving a nervous laugh, she patted his chest. <laughs> You're a terrible salesman, you know? Okay, back in a few. Now, down in the dark, she didn't sound so excited or chipper. Her breath was coming a bit faster, and she muttered something about it being freezing down there before kneeling at the stone bench. Then she started to count. At 25, she paused, panning the camera around in the dark, as though she'd heard something. After a couple of seconds, she went back to counting, her voice quieter than before. When she hit 60 Mississippi, she paused for a moment. Shit, Cal. I'm actually kind of scared. I wish you were here. She gave a shaky laugh. <laughs> I know, I know. Quit being a pussy-ass bitch. <sighs> I'm hitting the light now. The illumination from the phone was dazzling, and not just because it was bright, but because the light was shining back toward the camera. It... It was a mirror. On the far edge of the well, a massive mirror had been set up. The candles had all been too far away or blocked by the kneeling bench to cast a reflection, but Celia's light was far brighter, and in the reflected light I could not only see her kneeling at the bench, her face first confused and then afraid, but also the figure standing just behind her. It had to be Travis. The build and the clothes looked the same, though now he was wearing a strange carved mask with the twisted features of some old wizened crone. Celia turned around and looked up at him, her laughter now poisoned by uneasy fear. <laughs> Shit, man, you got me good. No jump scare my... Silence. What are you... The time for talking is past. The time for kneeling is done. Look across and witness what you wanted to. Celia was still holding the camera toward the mirror so I could see as she started to get up. Look, this is cool and all, but... Ow! Travis shoved her head back down, his hands tight on her shoulders. Witness. Lips trembling, she turned back toward the mirror and stared at the camera. Stared at me. Behind her, Travis jumped and then landed roughly with the twin sounds of bones snapping and my sister's terrified screams of pain as the camera's view fell away into the dark. A few seconds later, the camera was moving again, held above Celia as she tried to crawl toward the steps. Her ankles were badly broken, with bloody bone sticking out of her left leg and raking the dirty stones as she screamed and begged and cried. Camera's eye followed her agony and fear until she reached the first step. And then it closed for good. I got my sister's phone in the mail last month with all the videos intact. The police in both states have checked it since then, and it didn't take long for them to find the house she'd gone to. There was no sign of her 
or Travis, and the basement had recently been filled with concrete. They're still debating the legalities of destroying the concrete when there's no evidence of foul play other than the video, which could, according to them, be fake. Because there's no record of that house being bought at an auction recently. It is empty, but its taxes are always paid on time, and it has been owned by a corporation called Hawthorne Holdings since the late 1990s. There's also no bad history associated with the place. No murders, no witches, no ghost stories, at least according to the few locals I've talked to. I don't know that I believe them, but they're who I have to work with, so I'm stopping short of just calling them out as liars. And they're stopping just short of that, too. The sheriff and county administrator have gently suggested several times that maybe this is all a scam or some kind of attempt at my sister and her boyfriend to make a little horror movie. When I tell them she didn't know that guy, the sheriff just shrugged. Asked me what's more likely. That my sister stumbled into some serial killer's ritual that he'd taken out ads for, or that she just ran off with some smooth-talking guy. As for me, I've thought about moving, of course. They know where I live, after all, and I've had to develop a dozen rituals and security measures so I know that my house and car stay empty and secure. But every time I consider going somewhere new, somewhere that maybe they can't find me, I pull away from the idea. Part of it is because I feel responsible for what happened to Celia. If I'd been with her, I could have persuaded her from going to the house in the first place. Much less going alone with some stranger. So maybe I deserve whatever I get if some night they decide to pay me a visit. The other, more angry part of me wants them to come for different reasons. I have little hope of finding Celia alive at this point, but there's always a chance. And either way, the idea of finding or being found by the man that took her and showing him things he doesn't want to see, that's very appealing. Either way, I think I'm staying here. Being smart and cautious, but also being ready. Because one day death may come to visit. And when it does... I might just open the door. There exists a room where physical laws don't behave how they should. And I regret ever having a hand in its creation. The room was one of many. Experiments that allowed us to tamper with the fabric of space-time in an enclosed location, to toy with the delicate laws of our physical world, and fine-tune them to our liking. The first 370 went off without a hitch. Some of our finer work included room 112, where one could experience astral projection, with it the ability to view remote locations. In another, room 213, there were dream storms. Any subject to sleep inside would be bombarded with pieces of other people's nightly cinema, nightmares and all. And our crowning achievement up to that point, room 301. Within its walls, time stood still. No matter how long a subject claims to have stayed inside, they've always exited the room at the same time they entered. Then... 
there came that room. The one that put all the others to shame. Room 371. The first few tests were promising. Mixed results and readings led us to draw the conclusion that this room had somehow inherited traits from all the previous ones. For starters, time was malleable in there, to an extent. Subjects reported being inside for weeks, when really it had only been days. In addition, they all experienced different things. Out-of-body events, hallucinations, psychic visions. The list goes on. It was shaping up to be our best work, but then the unthinkable happened. It is a day I will never forget, try as I might. Elizabeth, you're pregnant. Seven months along. You know my work here is dangerous. We cannot risk your safety. A sigh of disappointment came through the receiver. I know, Garrett, I know. But I haven't seen you in over a week now. Will you even be here when our son is born? This time I let out a sigh. The work we're doing here, it could very well change the world. When our son is born, I will be there, and I want him to be proud of his father. We'd reached an impasse, and so we sat for a moment in silence, fallen to our ears, each hoping for a bit of understanding from the other. It was in this silence that I charted a course for middle ground. Tell you what, why don't you leave Jessica with the nanny and get a room at the local inn? I usually sleep here, but the hotel is just around the corner. I can meet you there after work. We'll make a night of it. After work? Is there even an after work with you? I chuckled. (laughs) Not particularly, but I promise I will be there. Let's say nine-ish? All right, I'll do it. You're lucky I still love you to pieces after all these years. There was a hint of reluctance in her voice, but deep down I knew she was ecstatic to be met halfway. As much as I was married to my work, I would have given anything for even a small chance to make her smile. Good. I'll see you tonight then. I gave her directions to the hotel and we disconnected. Then I turned my attention back to room 371. A box of walls connected to the rest of the lab with control arms and cables. It had no shortage of mysteries, and I would be damned if I didn't solve them all. If only I knew at the time what I was getting myself into. Hours passed, and soon the sun's glow through the windows of the lab was replaced with moonlight. I was no closer to uncovering the inner workings of the room, but it was a long process. Something that could take months or even years to unravel. That's why I didn't stop. Any lull in my research would push back the reveal, and I wanted answers yesterday. Still, the work took its toll. My eyes grew heavy, and my mind drifted to a sleep state as my head fell onto the desk where I stationed. As soon as I lost consciousness, I was transported to a strange and vivid dreamscape. To this day, I can't be sure if this nightmare was a product of my exhaustion or the effects of 371 just yards away from where I slept. 
In the dream, I was with my wife at the hotel. She was propped up in bed, screaming with her legs spread apart. I was by her side, holding her hand and doing my best to calm her through the agony of childbirth. She kept looking to me for comfort after each push. It's okay, Lizzie, I'm here. You're doing great. She squeezed my arm harder with every pained outcry. I was pale and bloodless by the final push. And then finally... Our son was born. But something was terribly wrong. The baby didn't cry. Instead, as I pulled him into my arms, he smiled. Not a beautiful smile, mind you, but a strange one. It curved at unnatural points and stretched too close to the ears. Unsettling would be putting it mildly. And then there were the eyes. Normal at first, but they soon turned black. Empty ellipses that grew darker with every blink. I had no choice but to put him down to escape his gaze. Elizabeth, here. You hold him for now. I looked down at my wife. She was unconscious. Her chest was still. I held my hand to her neck. There was no pulse. Elizabeth? Elizabeth, wake up! I placed our son on the bed and attempted to shake her, and when that failed, I resorted to chest compressions. But nothing seemed to work. No, no, no! My sweet Elizabeth, she can't be dead. She just can't be. Tears streamed down my face as the panic set in. I raced for the door to call out for help, but the knob wouldn't budge. That's when I noticed a number affixed to the wood. 371. Room 371. But how? The door swung open, striking me on the head and landing me on the floor below. I looked up, my vision blurred, and saw the shadowy outline of a man enter the room. He stepped over my body, grabbed my son, and then walked back out, but not before offering me an ominous sentiment. They're mine now, Garrett. I awoke mid-gasp, jumping from my desk. Frazzled, I looked over at the clock. It was 11.15 p.m. Oh no, Elizabeth. I dialed the hotel and had the clerk patch me through to her room. I only hoped she wouldn't be too upset over me sleeping through our date. Garrett Harold Cohenwood. This is no way to get on my good side. Judging by her tone, she was as raped as she'd ever been. Still, it was nice to hear her voice after that horrible dream. I'm sorry, hon. Work got away from me, and then I dozed off at the desk. It, it won't happen again, I promise. There was a faint voice in the background. Is that Daddy? Can I talk to him? It was our daughter. Did you bring Jessica with you? I thought I told you to leave her with the nanny. Doesn't she have school tomorrow? Her tone was still firm and unwavering. Your daughter hasn't seen you in over a week. I allowed her one day of hooky to spend time with her father. Get here now and don't waste another minute. 
It was clear that she meant business, and I wasn't about to test her fury any further. I'll be there in 20 minutes. I just have to... My eyes drifted to the room, and I recalled the strange dream my mind had concocted. Say, Elizabeth, what room are you staying in? Room 371. My heart sank. Are you absolutely sure of that? Yes. Why does it matter? This was bad. The hotel where my wife was staying only had two floors. I know this because I'd stay there myself on occasion. There couldn't have been more than a hundred rooms or so. Nowhere near enough to warrant a room numbered 371. Elizabeth, listen to me. Take Jessica and get out of there. Now. There was intermittent static after I said this. Garrett, you're breaking up. I can't hear... Elizabeth, get out of there now! There was more static, but I made out a single phrase through the noise, one that sent a shiver down my spine. Garrett, I think my water just broke. We were disconnected. I tried dialing the hotel again, but the line was dead. I didn't know what was going on, but with the unforeseen powers at play in room 371, I knew it couldn't be good. With my family in mind, I threw all caution to the wind and walked over to the room. Normally, there were safety protocols to be followed before entering, but I didn't care. My working theory was that it was acting as a portal, bridging itself to a room in a nearby hotel and taking its place. The hope was that I could get in and pull my family out. This has to work. It just has to. Upon entering the room, my theory was proven false. It was just as we had left it last. There was no one inside, much less my wife and daughter, My next course of action was to flee the lab and make haste toward the hotel, but the room had other plans. The door slammed itself shut as I approached. I reached for the knob, but it wouldn't turn. Just then, footsteps from behind me. Hello, Garrett. With a spike of adrenaline, I turned to meet the source of the voice. What I saw was astonishing. It was me. A copy of myself living and breathing before my very eyes. Every feature, every detail identical. I would have never suspected the room could do something like this. Not in a million years. Well, how do I look? After the initial surprise wore off, I regained my focus. My wife and daughter, what's happening? Is it you? He chuckled. (laughs) Of course it's me. Who else would it be? I didn't understand what he was getting at. 
And you are? I asked. Don't you recognize me, Garrett? You've been poking and prodding me since my birth, studying my every nook and cranny, but I've been observing you, too. Now I've learned you inside and out, taking your form, even. I thought you'd be flattered. As indirect as his answer was, I was able to put the pieces together. You're the room. You're this room. Room 371. He smiled. Now you're getting it. My mind was instinctively trying to run the numbers and make sense of how any of this was possible, but this was no time for work. What are you doing with my wife and daughter? His smile grew wider. <laughs> to know that, first you need to know how, and then why. I didn't have time for his games, whatever he was. I lunged at him with my arms outstretched, but to no avail. My entire body phased right through. Nice try, Garrett. This is just a projection I've planted in your mind. Please, take a seat. I never have anyone to talk to. This is the most fun I've had... <sighs> well, ever, really. I stood back against the wall and stared him down, my eyes now welling up. Please, let them go, I'm begging you. He shook his head in disapproval. I can't do that, Garrett. It wouldn't be in my best interest. I didn't understand. What are you talking about? It's simple, really, you see. You didn't create me so much as you found me. I'm a reserve of cosmic energy, one that you've tapped into and harnessed with your latest project here. You gestured at the room around us. You've awakened me and given me the gift of sentience. For that, I thank you. But now that I'm awake, I'm hungry. You humans need air, water, and food to sustain yourselves. I need something else. What? What do you need? I asked, growing impatient by the second. Souls. I need to feed on the souls of living things to stay alive, and by golly, human ones are worth all the trouble it takes to find them. Trouble? I asked. Oh yes, you think I'm contained in this prison, but I travel. It's difficult, but through certain connections I'm able to find my prey. Lifelines, the auras you humans share with another. At first I couldn't reach them, but then you went ahead and brought them to me. Close enough to taste. He was referring to my family. Why don't you just take me? I'm right here. Take me instead and leave them alone. He let out a horrendous, malignant laugh that pierced me to my core. <laughs> I would never, Garrett. Through your aura, I'm connected to them. I can project this room and my likeness anywhere they are. You're my beacon, and until I can find another, you're with me. I was hindered. By remorse, I might say that I'm sorry. 
In truth, I'm not in the slightest. This is about survival, and I have no intention of dying. Not when being alive feels so good. Feeling hopeless, I reached down to my lab coat and pulled out a pocket watch. I always kept it with me, a Christmas gift from Jessica. I could remember the day clearly, a memory that never strayed too far from my heart. Open it, Daddy, it's for me. Her smile was intoxicating. Oh, really? And did Mommy help you pick it out? No, she picked this one out all by herself. I slowly pulled apart the gift wrap, savoring the moment. Eventually, I pulled out the watch and opened its face, revealing a remarkable design within. This is wonderful, sweetie. I love it. She looked at me with inquisitive eyes. What's the matter, sweetie? Do you understand what it's for? I laughed. <laughs> well, of course. It's to tell time. She shook her head. <laughs> no. You're always at work and you forget to come back and see us. This is so you don't forget. So you always know what time to come home. A little bit of guilt washed over me as a tear rolled down my cheek. I know I work a lot, sweetie, but I'll always come home to you. I promise. She jumped into my arms... I held her tight, my sweet little girl. I looked down at the inscription on the watch. To Daddy. Love, Jessica. Time to come home. It was time. Time to end this. I threw the pocket watch against the wall as hard as my arm would allow. It shattered into a thousand pieces. Then I kneeled down and picked up the tiny shards of glass that landed at my feet. Garrett, what are you doing? With glass in hand, I looked up at him. I will never let you have them. Consider your bridge to the outer world closed. Using the glass, I sliced my arms open, slits long and deep enough that I would inevitably bleed to death in minutes, effectively cutting off whatever connection he had to my family. At least then they would have a fighting chance. No, you'll ruin everything! The last thing I remember before losing consciousness was the sound of the door swinging wide open. And then everything faded away. I woke at my desk, positioned exactly as I was before. After gathering my wits and recalling what happened, I jumped to my feet and turned to the room. My clone was standing just outside the door. Settle down, Garrett. You're going to be fine. I looked down at my arms, and there were no wounds. I have the acute ability to manipulate time. You're now just as you were just before entering the room. What about my family? He sighed. That was a bold move back there, attempting to take your own life. I didn't expect that. Had I known you humans were prone to sacrifice, I wouldn't have revealed so much. 
Your family is fine. He could see the disbelief painted on my face. See for yourself. He pointed at the phone on my desk. I hesitantly picked it up and held it in my ear. Go on, dial already. I dialed the hotel number and asked the clerk to put me through to my wife. To my delight, she answered. Garrett Harold Covenwood, this is no way to get on my good side. It was so good to hear her voice. Is Jessica there with you? Yes. How did you know? Thank God they were both okay. Could you put her on for me? The next voice I heard was my daughter's. As happy as ever. Hi, Dad. Are you coming to see us now? My little girl. Safe and sound. Yes, sweetie, I am. It's time for me to come home. Yay! She was overjoyed, and then Elizabeth took the phone back. You better not be toying with her emotions, Garrett. I'm not. I'll be there shortly. By the way, what room are you in? 102. Why? I sighed a breath of relief. No reason. I'll see you soon. I love you. I held the phone and looked back to my evil twin. So what now? I asked. Well, until I figure out a way around your heroics, you and your family are safe. It sounded a little too good to be true. But don't you need to feed? Why aren't you killing me right now? He walked over with a stern look and leaned in as close as he could get. Why would I waste my time with an appetizer when you're going to lead me to the main course? I'd much rather have the three of them than just you, especially the newborn. Fresh souls are so much better than the used ones. My blood was boiling, but I remained silent for fear of repercussions. I will have them, Garrett. Mark my words. He slowly backed away, turned and walked toward the room. He then looked at me one last time and grinned. Hope you don't mind me holding on to this look for a while. What can I say? I like it. With that, he vanished into thin air, never to be seen or heard from again. At least that was the hope. Soon after the ordeal, I took Elizabeth and Jessica home, packed our things, and drove as far away from that room as possible. I vowed to never work in that lab again for as long as I lived, or anywhere that kept me from my family. From now on, they came first. If that entity does ever come around, I'll be waiting. I will never let him take them. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching and listening to the new video. I really appreciate it. Um, be sure to let me know what you thought about both of the stories down in the comment section below. I think my favorite one from tonight was the one about room 371. 
it's a really interesting um, idea that we can kind of like create a a room to another dimension and let in something that we weren't expecting. And there are stories connected to it that I think I've talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, or narrated on the channel before, but maybe we'll revisit them. Maybe we'll see. Um, but anyway, thanks again, everyone for listening. I want to go ahead and give a quick thank you to all of my $5 patrons and members. It's Absinthe Alice, Alice E, Amethyst, Amet, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, LSG, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Jesse Jess Jess, Justin Yezaromsky, Karen Parrott, Kat, Lee Riggs, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Moon Potato, Nicholas Moore, Nikki Parsons, Nora, Nova Nocturne, Patricia Rodea, Ray Clegg, Centennial, The New Ongome 24, Tiger Princess, Triumph, and Victoria Step. Thank you all for the continued support. If you all want to join them on Patreon or over here on YouTube as a member, you can do so for a dollar a month or five dollars a month. Five dollars gets you a shout out at the end of the video. One dollar gets you videos a day or two in advance. Of course, if you pledge five, you get videos early as well. But that will do it for me. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day, evening, or afternoon, wherever you are. Take care of yourselves and each other. And as always, stay safe out there.